Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Well, good morning. Does anybody have icicles hanging from their nose yet? It was so cold up here, I was having a hard time playing the guitar. My hands were like freezing on me in between, so I was like, thanks for praying, Tone, and I can warm up here. So I, I thank you. If uh, once we get the uh, temperature figured out, uh, we're, we've got some people on the way to help us with that. Uh, but I would advise during the winter seasons, maybe bring a fleece blanket with you uh, just to be on the safe side. It's easier to fold the blanket and put it to the side than to not have it with you. So we, we appreciate you so much. Um, today we enter, just as, as Scott said, we enter into one of my favorite times of year. If you hadn't noticed, I wanted to start the season off right. I got this new holiday uh, shirt. Uh, when I asked my wife if I could buy it, she gave me that look like, yeah, you know. <laughs> so, but uh, she humors me there. But um, I think the snow is beautiful and it's a great time just to begin getting into the Christmas spirit. This is my favorite season of the year. I love the lights, I love the sounds, the songs, the movies, the sweets, and especially the family moments that you get to make together. It's just something about it, it's just my favorite time of year. And even though it's my favorite time of the year, it's also the most challenging time to preach through as a pastor. As Scott said earlier, there is this common theme that a large majority of people only attend church two times a year, Christmas and Easter. We call those be kind to God Sundays because they want to be kind to God. Like, okay, God's done this for me. I guess I'll go to church on the holidays. And so if you think about all these people coming to church really two times a year, they hear the same two stories every time, the birth of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus. So the challenge for a teacher or pastor is to try to find a new way to present the same story that they hear year after year after year. And some of you that you've grown up in church is kind of the similar thing. It's a, the same story. It doesn't change. It's the same characters. The same events happen. It's not like you, you read one year and then Mary gives birth to Jesus in a manger and the next year like he's dropped out of a UFO. You know, you don't, you don't see that. It just doesn't happen. Right, so it's the same story over and over again. And so I'm just excited of what I believe God has laid on our heart to try to find a fresh take on this story. And as the Holy Spirit's leading us through, uh, looking at the characters of the story and kind of what they went through and, and how Jesus impacted their lives. How they went from before they knew Jesus till after they met Jesus. Like pre-Jesus and post-Jesus. And, and it's exciting to see kind of what God can do in their lives and relate to what they went through and see how God impacted their lives and believing that he can impact our lives in the same way. I think it's going to be an interesting study. Uh, there's something that we say in the church a lot. There, there's a phrase that we use, especially as believers, when we talk about what Jesus did for us. We say, Jesus saved us from our what? From our Sins. Jesus saved me from our sins. And I think, uh, I think when we think about that, most often we think about all the bad stuff we've ever done, right? We, we think about, man, I should have never done that. Thank God Jesus saved me from my sins. 
But I want us to think about it in a new way, maybe, a way you haven't really thought about it before. For just a moment, don't think about just what Jesus forgave you for. Think about what your life was before you met Jesus. And if you had never met him, if you never began a relationship with God, what might your life look like today? Because Jesus didn't just save you from your mistakes. He saved you from a life apart from him. He saved you from the eventual outcome of those decisions, that place that you're in, the mindsets that you had, the belief systems, the lies that you believed. Jesus redeemed us from more than just mistakes. So think about who you were and what you were like before Jesus. You know, maybe you're here today, you're watching online, and you actually haven't begun a relationship with God. You, you don't really uh, have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe a friend invited you to, to, to come or, or just watch online and check this thing out because it's the holidays and we like to be kind to God during the holidays. And so you're, you're just checking this thing out and you're giving it a shot. But I would ask you to look at your life. And maybe you think today, I'm not such a bad person. I don't really have anything bad going on. I'm not addicted to drugs. I'm not in over my head in debt. I'm, I'm, I have a pretty decent, pretty well-to-do life. My life's put together. And believe it or not, there are many people out there in the world who don't know Jesus who are living pretty decent lives. They're trying to be moral people. Some are even very devoutly religious. They've come into a religious system that connects them with other people trying to find a path to God. They've adopted a set of standards and a moral code to live by, connecting them to other people in the same community where they're all endeavoring to discover God in their own way. So it's true, not everyone who is away from God or doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, not everyone's in living in a dark alley, living off the scraps of other people. It doesn't mean if you don't have Christ, you can't have a, a good life. But this is the story that is the most profound, I believe, that has ever been told. And there's a man in the story that we're going to look at wherever you are in your life today, whether you're before a relationship with Christ, you've not gone all in with Jesus, or maybe you've known Jesus for a long time. There's a man in the story. He starts off the whole Christmas story, if you're reading in the book of Luke. It's a man named Zechariah. And this man, we're, we're going to encounter him as he's living day to day in the routine of his life. Now, Zechariah, he lived in the hill country of Judea. This was uh, in southern Israel between the two major cities, Hebron and, and Bethlehem, very important cities in the history of Israel. When God set up the nation, God divided the 12 tribes of Israel into different geographical locations. And every tribe got their own allotment of land in the nation of Israel, except for the tribe of Levi. They were chosen to be the priests of God. So their portion was God, not land. And so the Levites, they lived as priests. They ministered among the people. They're the ones that offered the sacrifices for the people in the tabernacle and later in the temple. They performed and aided in the receiving of offerings uh, for the people. They were the intermediaries between the people and God. And Zechariah 
was a Levite. He was a priest of God, but not just any old priest. He was a descendant of Aaron, the high priest that God chose. He's the brother of Moses, the very first high priest. So Zechariah, his lineage actually puts him in position to potentially be a leader over Israel one day as a descendant of Aaron. And so he wasn't just a priest. He was of the high priestly order, which was really important. And with, in the history of the nation of Israel, when they uh, finally were able to set up their kingdom under King David, there were many Israelites and there were many descendants of Aaron who were charged with the task of ministering into the temple and in the tabernacle. And so what David did, he decided to break them up into subgroups under, under clans and tribes so that they didn't have too many people serving God at, at one time. And so they all drew, I say they drew straws, they, they cast lots, and they, they picked their numbers in order on which clan would serve at which time. And Zechariah came from the tribe of Abijah, and he was chosen, their, their clan was chosen to serve in the number eighth position. So out of all the different descendants of Aaron, Abijah, Zechariah's line, was chosen to serve eighth amongst the people. And this is where we enter the story, as it is now Abijah, the clan Abijah's turn to serve in the, the, the temple, and Zechariah drew the short straw, and he got chosen to go and actually offer the incense in front of God for all the people at this time. But what we need to keep in mind with Zechariah's life, as again, this is before he meets Jesus. This is on the tail end of what scholars call the 400 years of silence. 400 years of time where God is silent in the nation of Israel. Up until this point, God had prophets. They were warning, if you don't turn from your sins, you're going to go into exile. The people don't listen. God enables the Babylonians to come in and destroy the nation, racks the city and destroy the temple. The nation of Israel sent into exile. And for 400 years after that point, they are brought back. There are other wars. There are other occupations. There's apostasies. There is revival in the nation. But God sends no prophet. There is no word of the Lord. The last prophet to prophesy in Israel is the prophet Micah or Malachi. And the last words were the prophecy of the day when the Messiah would come and he would send his forerunner, the voice crying out in the wilderness, to proclaim the way of the Lord. That's the last word that they've heard. So think about Zechariah involved in this religious machine year after year, serving his time, and God has not spoken for 400 years. And now, after all they've went through, their nation is occupied by another nation, the nation of Rome. And Rome didn't simply want to control the country militarily. They wanted to rule in all areas of influence. So now they didn't have prophets anointing their leaders, but Rome appointed the king over Israel. They didn't have prophets anoint the high priest. They had Rome appointing the high priest. So the religious system that they had that was based on a relationship with God has now been taken over by the Roman government, and they are turning it into a political machine, not just a religious institution. And Zechariah is caught in the middle 
of this institution where the people are oppressed by harsh laws and taxes and the elite class grow richer and more powerful. And this is the life that he is living. He is working this occupation as a priest because it was his fathers before him and his fathers before him. Now the scripture says he and his wife were faithful to try to keep all the laws and regulations God had set forth. And at this moment, just another day in the life of the priest, in the amidst of political oppression and corruption, Zechariah, and if you put yourself in his spot, it's the same thing year after year, time after time. There is little hope for anything to change. Why? Because it's been the same for 400 years. Another nation is ruling us. Things don't look good. Not only is there little hope that things would change, but little hope that things could change because God's been silent. And they begin to adopt this belief system, putting faith in their laws and additional laws that they created for themselves. And there became this belief amongst the Jewish people that if our nation just became righteous enough, if we obeyed the laws enough, then God would have mercy on our nation and he would send the Messiah and we would rise to power and glory again. Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 10, he kind of talks about this mindset that, was, that is indoctrinated in the people of Israel. In Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, Paul the Apostle says, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is that the people of Israel were to be saved. I know they have enthusiasm for God, but it's misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right for, with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way. Somebody say their own way. So they're refusing God's way and they're clinging to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. Somebody say the law. So for Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. So Paul is writing this post-Jesus, post-resurrection, but he's giving us a glimpse into the same mindset they had before Jesus arrived. That if we just cling to the law, if we obey the law as best as we can, if we become right with God according to his standard, then, then God will bless us and the favor of God will return. But here Paul says it's a fool's, a fool's hope because you can't be made right. There's no way you can keep the law enough to be right. So Zechariah, up until this moment, a priest of God of the line of Aaron, the high priest, he was putting faith in a law he could not keep, but was tirelessly trying to fulfill. And he was faithful to his duty. He kept the tenets of his religion, but he had little to hope for, because the law he tried to keep kept reminding him of how inadequate he really was. And this is where we begin our reading in Luke chapter 1. The story of Christmas. In Luke chapter 1, verse 8, it says, One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you will name him John. 
You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. And he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. And Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring this good news to you. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized from his gestures in silence, he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this story of Zechariah. I thank you, Lord, that you're revealing not just what conditions were like and, and what he went through before he met Jesus. But I'm so thankful, God, there is a, there is a, a next part of the story. And I thank you, God, that we can look at his life and we can look at what the scripture is revealing to us. And we can not just relate to his story, but God, we can have hope that if you did this in his life, you can do it in ours. And so God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a mind that understands and a heart ready to believe everything that you have for us today. And God, I pray that your grace would fall and that you'd begin breaking off the chains of religion and law and fear and guilt and shame in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the story of Zechariah. I think it's really important that we try to put ourselves in his position. So here he is in the routine of his duty. This is the journey up into his point, and he has this encounter, and I would say an unexpected encounter, wouldn't, wouldn't you say? Like, imagine that. Like, this is what you've done every year. You do it all the time. Same old, same old. Not expecting anything different, and then wham! Like an angel right there. It's quite an unexpected moment. But I think Zechariah's response to the angel really kind of clues us in onto what his struggle really was in this moment. I believe what Zechariah struggled with more than anything was religion. A spirit of religion. This mindset that I have to be good enough to receive the favor of God. And I think his story, his, his encounter really teaches us three things that we can pull from this story today. Number one, religion does nothing more than breed fear in the lives of people. Jesus combated religious people more than he combated anything else. I think he dealt with religious people more than he cast out devils in the story of the Gospels. He was trying to minister to people, to set people free, to heal. And what constantly came against him were religious people. People bound with this, this mindset, this ideology in their lives. 
Religion is a cesspool of fear. And the reason why it breeds fear is because it tricks you into being comfortable with your life, with these rules and laws and expectations that you can keep. And when you do keep them, you feel really good about yourself. You feel really good. Man, I'm a, I'm a spiritual person. I'm spiritually mature. And you can look at other people who don't do as good a job as you, and you begin to feel self-righteous. And Jesus even gives a, a parable in the New Testament. He tells a story about two guys that walk into a synagogue to pray. One is a poor man who's kneeling and weeping before the Lord, crying out, repenting of his sin, asking God for mercy. The next guy is a religious guy. He's dressed well. He's, he's respected in the community. And he looks at the, the poor guy, the beggar, and he says, Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I thank you that I'm not like this guy. This guy, he's, he's jacked up. I'm pretty good. Why? Because I keep the rules. I keep the standards. And the parable continues. Jesus says they both die. And the beggar goes to heaven to be with the Lord. And the religious guy goes in the oven and gets cooked. And he's using this as an illustration about how self-righteousness is a lie. It's self-deceptive. And, and this is what religion does. It causes us to deceive ourselves in thinking we are better than what we are. To make us comfortable in ourselves. And it makes us blind to what we are really like. And then in a moment when we're faced with our own brokenness, our own inadequacy. Just like Zechariah seeing the angel in Luke chapter 1 verse 12 it says, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. When you go through life thinking you are great, you are a good person, that you are righteous and holy, that you're, you've got everything together, that, that, that you're a, a religious person because you're keeping all these rules and regulations and you're not like other people who don't do what you do. When you are faced with the reality of your own brokenness, it creates fear. Fear of God not loving me anymore. Fear of God not accepting me anymore. Fear of not being able to be used by God. It lumps on guilt and shame. And Zechariah's experience with the angel says he was overwhelmed with fear. You see, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. If Zechariah was having normal encounters with the voice of God, with, with spiritual experiences with the Lord, if they were usual, I don't think Zechariah would have been so afraid. But this wasn't usual. This was abnormal. What was usual for Zechariah was his normal religious routine. But here God interrupts that with an encounter, with this angel who stands before the throne of God, the glory of God appearing to him, to this man who up until this moment thought he was a pretty good and righteous man. But now in this moment, in the presence of the glory of the Lord in this angelic messenger, he wakes up to the reality of his own brokenness. In Psalm 24, 3 through 4, the psalmist writes, Who may climb to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols, and who never tell lies. Who's qualified to stand in the presence of the Lord? Only a righteous, holy, perfect person. And Zechariah was not that. 
In that moment, Zechariah realized his religion could not save him. And he was afraid. He was not worthy to stand in the presence of the Lord. And he knew what the word of God said. He knew in the Old Testament when someone stood unworthily in front of the presence of God, they often died. Which is why, uh, as history tells us, that the priest developed this, this, um, this routine of tying a cord with bells on it to the priests who go into the presence of the Lord in the, in the tabernacle in the temple. Because if they don't hear the jingling, they're able to pull the cord and drag the dead body out of the holy place. So it was a usual thing. If you're in God's presence and, and you're not right with God, you're not surviving. And he was afraid. Think about it. God just invaded his routine. This was supposed to be a normal everyday experience. And God shows up and messes it all up. I don't know about you, but I am a creature of routine. Does anybody here other than myself have a morning routine? Like every morning you do the same thing over and over again? Yes. And, and, and I have this routine, and, and you do as well, probably not because you love your routine, but I do it so I don't forget stuff. Like if I do the same thing over and over again, then, then I like can stay more put together than I would if things were random and not the same. When you, when you don't do your normal routine, you get off track. And when you're thrown off track, even for something that's a good thing, it can create some frustration. You know, it can cause some uh, discomforting feelings when you're feeling all discombobulated. Uh, I often wake up, I spend time with the Lord, pray, and then uh, I'll uh, go to the gym. And so if I don't have that normal routine, I might forget my water bottle and then I have to drive back home to get my water bottle and different things like that. Uh, in the summer... We did uh, our movie night in the park. Anybody here remember movie night in the park? That was a lot of fun. Um, my wife and I traded cars. Now, all my keys to the building here are on my key ring with my car. And, and I think my wallet was even in there or something like that. So I, I'm like, yeah, we'll trade. That makes sense. And so I get in her car, get all the way to the school, and I can't get in because I don't have my wallet. So she brings me the car in my, my wallet, so I'm able to get in. Then I realized, after she'd already left, I didn't have my keys to get into any of the doors. So I had to bring her all the way back. So it was, I had to not only frustrate myself for being such a moron, but I had to frustrate her from having to break with what she was doing. So when you're inconvenienced, when your routine is inconvenienced, it can create frustration. When our routines are interrupted, especially our spiritual routines, when God comes in and says, you were doing this, but I'd like you to do something a little different. I'd like you to trust me in something. How we react can really reveal what's in our hearts. It's a revelation of maybe what matters really the most to us. And in this moment with Zechariah, what mattered to Zechariah? What mattered to Zechariah was being able to believe by seeing. He wanted to wrap his mind around the concept first. To be able to rationalize what the angel was saying rather than simply believe God in faith regardless of how impossible God's word to him seemed in the moment. What's interesting is he had been praying for this one thing. He and his wife had been praying for this for many, many years. The angel said, your prayer has been heard. So when he's before the Lord praying, he's praying for this one thing, praying for a child. And the angel says, your prayer, God has heard your prayer. But Zechariah couldn't bring himself to believe what the angel 
said was true. And I believe it's because though he wanted it desperately, it violated his religious routine, his chosen set of beliefs. That not only does he believe that God can do things like that, but his experiences taught him that God probably wouldn't do things like that because I'm not good enough. I haven't arrived yet. I haven't done enough sacrifice. I haven't done enough service in the temple. So religion breeds fear, gets in the way of faith. Number two, I see that you can inherit religion, but you can't inherit faith. How did Zechariah get his job in the temple? Well, it was his father's job. And it was his father's job before him. And it was his father's job before him. How many of us grew up in homes where our parents went to church? And their parents went to church? And their parents went to church? But just because you have a history of faith in your family does not mean that that faith is yours. That it belongs to you. That it's genuine. No matter how many generations your family has attended church, how many Sundays you've attended, how many volunteer hours you've served, how much money you've put in the bucket... When there's a crisis of faith, when it happens, religion will fail you every time. Religion fails every time. Faith is a personal decision to trust in God. The difference between faith and religion is faith is a personal decision to trust in God. Religion is a personal decision to trust in yourself. If I can't do it, if I can't figure out how I can accomplish it, if I can't do it in my own strength, if my own wisdom and intellect can't figure it out, then I can't believe it's possible. So the angel was bringing a good word, a promise of answered prayer, and calling Zechariah into his destiny as the father of the forerunner of the Messiah. But because Zechariah's entire spiritual life, his entire journey up into this moment was religious duty, rules, laws, family traditions, expectations, in his mind, he had to do in order to get from God. But in this moment, all he had to do was receive in faith what the angel was saying. And he couldn't do it. Instead, what was exposed was an unbelieving heart. So all that devotion to a religious system to be right with God, all that righteous and holy heritage in that moment meant absolutely nothing. His religious pedigrees, his degrees, his accolades, all the things he had earned, all the ways men had praised him up until this moment meant absolutely nothing because doubt filled his heart. He didn't believe miracles were possible. He did so many good and religious deeds, so many sacrifices and acts of service, but yet he had yet to give God the one thing God was after the entire time. He hadn't given God his heart. And Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. And my, my belief is, and, and I know this from my own experience, is many Christians are caught in the same trap. We are relying on the heritage of our family come before. We're relying on all the stuff that we do for God. But we're caught in the same trap that we haven't fully given God our hearts. You agree with what you can rationally understand, but when it comes to taking steps of faith and believing God for impossible things and promises that seem impossible, doubt fills your heart because you believe you're not good enough. You haven't done enough. You're not pure enough, perfect enough. 
And what you're really trusting in is your own intellect, your own wisdom, your own righteousness, your own goodness to bring it to pass, rather than simply trusting in God's faithfulness. You may have given God your allegiance in religious duty, but there's an area in your heart you've yet to surrender to Him. Number three, religion also cleans the outside while neglecting the inside. It makes you look really good on the outside while neglecting the inside. Again, Jesus, as He's confronting these religious leaders in Matthew 23, Verse 27, he says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Think about what Jesus is saying. He's like, these religious people, they look like these ornate, beautifully carved and decorated tombs. They're the, they look like beautiful edifices, the brilliant work of artistic people. But what's on the inside is rot and decay. And this is the essence of religion. If, if we're trying to use our works, our deeds, our things that we do for God to make us right with God, it's a fool's errand because it does nothing to cleanse and purify the heart. And I've fallen into the same trap as Zechariah. I, in my own life, I created a religious veneer to look good before men, but my heart was still wrestling with God because there were things in my life I still wasn't ready to surrender or give up. So I looked great on Sundays, but felt ashamed the rest of the days because of what I was dealing with in my own life. And I think this is where Zechariah is in this moment as he doubts the word of the Lord and the angel, and he's cursed with being mute until the birth of his son. And I think, why did the angel curse him with not being able to speak? I think, number one, he didn't want him speaking doubt over his wife and over his future son. But two, the second reason, I think, is to show Zechariah that pleasing God doesn't come from all your knowledge, wisdom, your religion, your flowery words and prayers that, that you can pray. There's nothing you can do to be worthy of this gift, and so he kept Zechariah from being able to try to work for his blessing. He merely wanted him to sit back and receive the blessing. And so if we look at religion, religion breeds fear, guilt, shame, condemnation, all these things that keep us at a distance from God. Religion, number two, you can't inherit religion, or you can inherit religion, but you can't inherit faith. Number th three, it cleans the outside while neglecting the inside, the one thing that God really wants. But I think this story can also tell us three things about God, and we're going to wrap up here. Number one is God is great, but he is also very good. God is great, but he's also very good. Think about God is great. He is to be feared. The Bible says he's in all-consuming fire. If we were to stand before him, fear is a natural response with the immensity of his presence. None can challenge him. He is holy. He is the God above all gods. He is great, but he's also good. How do we know? Because in the midst of unbelief, he blesses Zechariah anyways. He blesses him anyways. Even though he, he's removed his ability to speak, he blesses him anyways. Even though he still doubted, he blesses him anyways. And God doesn't bless Zechariah because Zechariah was good. God blesses Zechariah because God is good. That's why he got blessed. 
Zechariah didn't earn the blessing. God gave it to him as a gift of grace. And even before Zechariah's son, John, is born, there's a grace that Zechariah receives that not even he could have predicted or had prepared for, which leads us to the second point about God. God is also pursuing our hearts all the time. The greatest commandment Jesus said that God ever gave was love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. God is always in pursuit of your heart. That's the one thing that he wants. After his wife was pregnant for a few months, the angel appears to Mary and tells her that she's carrying the Messiah. In Luke 1, 39-43, it says a few days later, later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? Now, why doesn't Zechariah say anything? Because he can't. God took that ability, right? So his wife's speaking for him. But what she say? Why should the mother of my Lord come and visit me? Think, think about what's happening here. Did God tell Mary to go see Elizabeth? No. He didn't tell her to go see Elizabeth. She decided to do that on her own. God told Mary she's going to have the Messiah. So she gets it in her mind. Okay, well, I'm going to go see Elizabeth. I'm going to go stay with her for a, little time, for a little bit of time. So Zechariah, in an instant, in this moment, he's failed in the temple. He's dealing with guilt and shame and just this self-doubt. He can't speak because of his unbelief. He, he's probably in the lowest place spiritually he's ever been in his life after this spiritual encounter ends in failure. And, and he can't bring himself to, I, like if I just put myself in that place, I would be feeling so low in this moment how I messed up this great opportunity. And everything he thought and believed was rocked in this one encounter. And even before Jesus is born, Mary goes to bring Jesus to Zechariah. See, God could have asked Zechariah to do any number of religious acts and to even go on a pilgrimage himself to go find the Messiah. But he doesn't. But Jesus goes and visits Zechariah in his lowest moment. And Zechariah is able to encounter Jesus before anyone else to see not only the fulfillment of his own promise that he would have a son one day, but also the promise God made to the entire world. And he gets to be a major part of it as the father of the forerunner of Jesus. Number three, the third thing we see about God is that God transforms us when we draw close. He's always in pursuit of our hearts. And when we draw close, that's where the transformation comes. See, the amazing thing about God is he's not just one step ahead. He's light years ahead. He's light years ahead. Remember Zechariah's tribe, the, the clan of Abijah, was eighth in line. When God began to do a new thing to bring Israel into existence, he called a very old man and old woman, Abraham and, and Sarah, and gave them a son. And on the eighth day, he had them circumcised to show that there was something new happening, a new relationship 
was being formed with God and this people. And so here an old man and an old woman are having a child, and they are the eighth in line to serve in the presence of the Lord, symbolizing that God is doing something new with this man. He's beginning something new in the world. And God is bringing this into prophetic fulfillment all in this moment. It's such an amazing thing that God had this lined up for him, knowing how Zechariah would respond, and yet God blesses him anyways. And as he is in this moment, God draws Zechariah close, not calling Zechariah to Jesus, but bringing Jesus to Zechariah, restoring his faith, just as God doesn't command us to go to him, but God sends us the Holy Spirit when we believe. And the Spirit of God comes to live within us and to empower us to live the abundant life of Christ. See, religion breeds fear, but relationship breeds faith, and with faith comes hope. Hope that all things are possible. After Zechariah spends some time with Mary and Jesus, Mary goes back home. And Zechariah's son John is finally born, and at that moment, God's promise is fulfilled. Zechariah's mouth is loosed, and he's able to speak. And what does he say? What are the first things that Zechariah says after he's able to speak again? Is it more doubt? Is it fear? No, he has a different response after meeting Jesus. Why? Because he was a different person. God falls on him in power, and Zechariah begins to prophesy about all the things God has done, the fact that the Messiah has come, and he says something profound in Luke 1, 74. He says, we have been rescued from our enemies, so we can serve God without what? Without fear. His first encounter with God? Fear. Fear is all over it. But the second encounter after he encounters Jesus, there's no fear. We can serve him without fear. Again, his entire life of religion and fear dominated him because he was afraid of what God may do if he sinned or failed. But now he confidently declares, God, we can serve you without fear because when he met Jesus, he encountered the goodness of God. And it's the kindness of God that draws us to him. It's tasting and seeing that the Lord is good that he was able to drop his religious mindset and activate a heart to really believe in the promises of God. He stopped trusting in himself and in his works and began a real and true relationship with God through believing in Jesus, the Son of God, delivering him from guilt and shame and condemnation and ultimately delivering him of fear. Why? 1 John 4, 18, such love has no fear because perfect love casts out all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we've not fully experienced God's perfect love. When you have an encounter with love, perfect love, it breaks off fear. It breaks down religion. And he was a different man, not because of religion or religious participation, but because of this new relationship that he had with Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today, and all you've experienced is the negative effects of cold religion. Maybe you've been hurt by people in the church because they put their own laws and expectations over your head rather than leading you into a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus wants to change your story like he did Zacharias. He wants to move you out of the guilt and shame of your past mistakes and your present struggles, break off the fear that's holding you back from God 
And I believe Jesus wants to draw you into his perfect love. Maybe you've been in church your whole life, but like Zechariah, pre-Jesus, you're motivated to be faithful because of guilt and shame. You feel like there's this unattainable level that you've yet to reach and, and the standard you haven't met yet. And so you've lived your whole life buried under this weight that's been holding you down, this fear of letting God down again that's quenching your faith. Saying, I can't do that because I still have this stuff in my life. I still haven't obeyed enough or, or trusted enough. The faith God wants you to have that he can use to lead you into becoming who he created you to be. To do the works he planned for you to do long ago. I believe God wants to encounter you today. As the worship team comes and begins to play. I'd ask us to bow our heads and close our eyes in this moment. We go into a time of prayer as we begin to wrap up. Wherever you are today. Whatever you're dealing with, if you are battling religious mindsets like Zechariah, you're like, well, I don't know if I'm battling religion. Well, ask yourself, do you feel like God loves you? Do you feel like God likes you? Do you feel like God is happy with you just because you're his child? If the answer is no, then there might be some religious mindsets you're wrestling with. There might be some fear that you're battling with. Wherever you are today, in just a moment, after I pray, we're gonna invite our prayer team to come down to the front and give you an opportunity to pray. And I just believe that God wants to speak a word over you. That he wants to prophesy your true identity over you, to show you that you don't have to be good enough to be loved, that God loves you so much that he gave his only son. And that whoever believes will have everlasting life. You'll become a new creation. We want to pray with you that you have a revelation of God's love today. If you've never begun a relationship with God, there's never been a time in your life where you have given God your yes to say, God, I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to trust Jesus with my whole heart in his death and resurrection, the very reason why he came. Maybe you're listening online and right now the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart and you're like, I need Jesus in my life. Right now, where you are, you can accept Christ into your life. You can begin to open the door of your heart and let love in. And he can begin doing that healing work in your life. Right now where you are, in the quietness of this moment, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you need to begin a relationship with Jesus, you want to meet him genuinely for the very first time, I just encourage you to pray this little prayer with me from your heart to the Lord, as if you're speaking to him face to face. Just say, Jesus, thank you for coming and thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for forgiving me. Today, I'm trusting you with all my heart. You are my Savior, now and forever. Lord, fill me with your love because today I'm living for you, now and forever. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you prayed that prayer, right now I believe just the authority of the Word of God. The Word of God says that those who place their faith and trust in Christ will become a new creation. And so, Father, I just pray for everyone 
who prayed. God, if they've been in church their whole lives, but have wrapped up in a bunch of stuff, God, I pray that right now you would invade their heart with your love. The Holy Spirit, the Word of God says that you've been sent to fill our hearts with the love of God. And I pray right now, God, you draw them ever close by filling them with your love, that now the fear, the guilt, and shame would begin breaking off as they encounter the love of God, maybe even for the first time. And I just thank you, God, for the party you're throwing in heaven for those who've chosen to place their faith and trust in Jesus. And now, God, for the rest of us that are trying to live each day for your honor and glory, where religion still creeps up when we make mistakes and when we go through difficult times or we have seasons that are difficult in our relationships and we just feel like we're dropping the ball over and over again. God, the enemy is able to begin speaking lies and poisonous darts into, into our minds that make us feel like that we're, we're not good enough to be used by God, we're not good enough for your blessings, that, that, that you're angry with us, that, that there's a distance between us, God, and I just pray right now you begin the healing work, undoing all of the lies we believe, all the lies and all the chains that religion puts on us. And I pray, God, that that begin to break right now as your love overflows in this place as your perfect love begins casting out fear, breaking off the chains of guilt and shame. And in God, that those of us that have been trying to hold you at a distance to keep you from seeing who we really are, that your spirit begins drawing us close, that we can see how much you really love us. And we just praise you, God, in Jesus' name. church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.